Amen. Second Kings chapter eight, please. Second Kings eight. And we're doing great on schedule. We're going to I think our discipleship class will be making their way in shortly here. And we'll just keep on going here and praying that the Lord would bless this service tonight. Second Kings chapter eight. Second Kings eight, beginning with verse one. This spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou in thine household, and sojourn whithersoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land for seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. And she went forth to cry unto the king for her household and for her land. And the king talked with, with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her lamb. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. And so the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Now, Father, tonight, again, there's so much we thank you for. And this evening as we come to you tonight, we know it's spring break. And we pray for our families that are traveling and on vacation. And, uh, Lord, others who've got other things going on. We pray tonight that you'd meet with us. And it might be spring break, but thank God we still have church and, Lord, as we have church tonight, we need a, a voice from heaven. We need you to stir us, whether it be old truths and uh, old doctrines we've heard before or something, Lord, we're not familiar with. We just need refreshment tonight. And we know that the Word of God is, is good and is true. And we pray that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. And, Lord, you'd help us in areas of our life where we need shoring up and patching up and strengthening and fortification. Help us tonight. And then for others tonight that we did not lift up in prayer, whose bodies are infirm and filled with sicknesses or other things, God, meet with them. God, show yourself powerful and strong on their behalf. And, Lord, tonight, minister to us in a spiritual way that will glorify you. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We just concluded celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel that we have the resurrection, that, that a resurrection Sunday, we just kind of blow through it so quickly, we really don't seize upon all that goes on with that. And I'm reminded as we, we, you read through the book of Acts, you read through the epistles, how powerful the doctrine of the resurrection was in preaching and in life. And one of the great verses in the Bible was given to us by Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't have your notes, you might want to turn to that there with me. But it's a great verse if you're never not familiar with it, if you've never memorized it, I hope that you will. But Paul made the statement as he was talking about chapter 3. And you have to bear in mind, as he's writing the book of Philippians, he was just kind of unfolding his life and just being very transparent with the, the believers there. And he said that his great goal in life was this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. And I remind you tonight, the greatest need you and I have tonight is to know him, to be close to God, to draw near to him and that God would draw near to us. As I read that tonight, I'm reminded of what, something I read in my devotions this morning from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, where it says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom and let not the rich man glory in his riches and let not the mighty man glory in his might. But he says that he may know me and God wants us to know him. And one of my great encouragements to us as a church is don't be casual in your relationship with God and don't be distant in your relationship with God. Make it a determination. You're going to draw close to God and know Him. But when Paul said that he might know Him, he wasn't just talking in doctrine, and he wasn't just talking in processes, and he wasn't just talking about head knowledge. He said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings may be made conformable unto His death. And I don't know about you tonight, but what does the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to you? How do you experience that power in your life? You see, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is an integral and inseparable part of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul said this, For I delivered unto you... 
first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, notice this, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And every word this position is so important for us because it's a reminder to us that He was prophesied in Scripture, Jesus would rise from the dead, and He did rise from the dead. But listen, that power of the resurrection, we, we experience it for the very first time in all of our lives, the moment we get saved. The moment you and I get saved, we may not all the, know all the doctrines of the Bible. We may not all know all about the ABCs of the Christian life. We may not know uh, all the different things or even how to spell the words. But I'm going to tell you, you experience the doctrines of Scripture in life the moment you get saved. Ephesians chapter 2, notice verses 4 and 7. It says, but God, by the way, the difference maker in life is God, amen? It says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved and has raised us up together. This is the resurrection. The resurrection power takes us from being dead in trespasses and sins and giving us newness of life. And notice verse 6. He's raised us up together. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. But I want to say this tonight. We experience the power of the resurrection at the point of conversion, but it doesn't stop there. God wants us to know that power on an ongoing basis. Notice tonight our subject takes us to a woman who a good part of Second Kings 4 dealt with. She's the woman of Shunem. She's a woman called the Shunammite woman. She's a, when they have one, two descriptions about her. She was the woman of Shunam, and she was a woman that was called a great woman. And we've got a continuation here because we don't do justice to the characters person without continuing on in chapter 8 and seeing some things that God wants us to see. This woman is characterized all through chapter 8 verses 1 to 6 as the woman whose son was restored to life. This woman experienced a resurrection home. Now it wasn't the resurrection of our Savior, but it was the raising back of her son back to life. She's referred to as a great woman. As a great woman, she was a woman as we go back to second kings four she had great insight about the things of god elisha was passing through her city of shunem and she told her husband she said honey i perceive that this man is a man of god she says let's let's let him stop by here so they opened their home up and extended hospitality for the man of god to stop there and to have a bite to eat i mean what a wonderful thing as a man of god not knowing where his next meal would come from that this woman who he didn't even know from the first time he went there would open her home up in hospitality says come and please have a meal with me and then she would say to her husband i think this man might be a man of god i just listened to how he prays and i listened to how he interacts with us and i listened about how he cares for us she says you know we need to do something for him this woman was only greater insight this woman was great in her giving she said husband let's do this let's put an addition on our home let's add to our home but this addition is not for us this addition is for the man of god so that when he comes here he has a place to stay we get our thoughts and ideas about a prophet's chamber from this very incident of the Bible. One day I hope to have a building here on our, on our campus where we can have multiple prophet's chambers so that our missionaries and preacher guests could stay there. I've had occasion churches where I've preached at where they'll say, preacher, if you don't mind, we'd like to put you up in our prophet's chamber. And I get a little nervous about that because I'm not sure what's involved with that prophet's chamber. I'm not sure what's going on there. I was in one prophet's chamber and I found a, I found a, a foam cup there on the kitchen that somebody did not throw away. And there had been some chocolate that was in there that somebody drunken and it left there for a long time and there were other things growing in it besides chocolate if you know what i mean amen and i got a little worried about what i was staying at there but uh but all together most of the ones i've had they've been very clean and very nice and very comfortable and they, they give you some privacy for studying things like that but uh but this woman decided she wanted to put an addition on her place it would be a prophet's chamber. And she said, let's, let's do that. And she said, let's, let's not only put a prophet's chamber there, let's furnish it. And she said, let's put a bed there and let's put a, a table and a little stool that you can sit on and a candlestick so you can study. I mean, she had it all down right in terms of what to do. This woman was great in her insight and she was great in her giving. She was great in her contentment. Listen, the man of God turned to his prophet, his servant in training, Gehazi, and he said, well, let's think about what can we do for this woman? And he said, well, I checked with her and, and uh, she said, said she's fine and, and she says I dwell with my people and that was a that was just a very polite way of saying I'm content 
I don't need anything else. I've got everything I need. And, and the servant came back and said, why? I, I, this woman doesn't have a child. And her husband is very old. And there may have been a big age gap between her and her husband. He must have been years older than her. And, and they couldn't have children. And so the prophet prayed. And the woman conceived. Praise God for that. And she had a child. And, and, uh, and she was very happy. And she was great in her family life. The greatest thing in her life was being able to have a, of a son. And she was given this child and this son. And this son grew up. And, and she was great in those things. Uh, she was greatly tested. This woman was blessed greatly of God. She was tested. May I remind you tonight, if you're greatly blessed of God, be prepared. You're going to be tested. Amen. And she was tested. She and her son went out one day and the heat of the heat of the day, we're not sure what happened, but he had a heat stroke or something. And he said, he said, my head, my head. And, and the father didn't know what to do. And he says, take him to his mother. She held him in his lap and the boy expired in her lap. This woman was great as a family member, but she was great in her faith. She looked at this little boy and she decided, I'm not going to give up hope here. Boy, I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but if something like that happened to me, I'm not sure really what I would do. I'm not really sure how I would react to it, but this woman had a great faith. Immediately she said, she turned to another servant. She said, take him up to the prophet's chamber. Run back from the field all the way back to the prophet's chamber and put him on the prophet's bed. I mean, this woman had great faith. She believed God was going to do something there. She'd heard this man pray. She'd watched what God was doing. She knew if God could bring life in her womb, God could bring wife a second time back to that son. Amen. And she watched and said, the man of God went to her, that prophet's chamber. That boy was laid there and she was downstairs. And she just listened as that, the man of God prayed over that boy and laid himself on that boy and life came back to that boy. And this was a great woman, great in many, many ways. Now we see chapter eight that this woman as a visit from Elisha. And the incident occurs. And once again, we look at this woman, how the, re- the power of her resurrected life just keeps working a life. But notice in this life, this woman, everything we see about this woman as we carry over from chapter 4 into chapter 8. She's a woman who's a woman of faith and a woman of obedience. You might want to write that down. A woman of faith and a woman of obedience. And we're going to see this woman, how the power of her resurrected life is still powerfully working in her life tonight. Now, this evening, I want you to see something. Because the focus of attention is on this woman this evening. Elisha is sparsely mentioned in these six verses. The emphasis is God and this woman. We're going to see the power of a faithful life. You know, sometimes we talk about being faithful and we kind of just gloss over that. And we think it's so simple to think about. But let me tell you something tonight. We must be reminded over and over again the importance of faithfulness. The Bible says a faithful man shall abound with blessings. Every man will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man who can be found. It is according unto stewards that they be found faithful. God is concerned that we be found faithful. That we're faithful in what we're doing. And this woman demonstrates to you and I, she'll take us to another notch up. She's going to take us to another level in understanding the power of a faithful life. And whether we're in ministry or not in ministry, whether we're laymen or we're serving God full time, whether a new Christian or whether we've been a seasoned Christian, all of us need to be reminded of the importance of the power of a faithful life. Notice three things very quickly tonight about this passage of scripture. First of all, notice the this a faithful life is represented by an unwavering submission. This woman represents to us an unwavering submission. Look at verses 1 and 2, please. In verses 1 and 2, we see this woman, we're reminded of, of her faith, of her obedience, and her submission. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou and thy household, and sojourn whithersoever thou canst sojourn, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. This woman gets a visit from the prophet Elisha. Now notice this visit was a word to help her, a word to encourage her. It was a personal word. I'm thinking about that, and just before I came to service, I got a call from overseas from one of our missionaries on something, and and uh, I told him, I said, no, I'm not trying to step into business that's not my own, but I think he said, I think you need to know this. And I said, thank you for calling me. I think the Lord laid on your heart to call me, to give me a warning, to help me. I take this as a word from God at this moment in time. Is God sending a man of God to call me on something here that I need to be careful of and wary of? I didn't initiate the call. I wasn't looking for help. There's something that's coming. 
coming up in our church life that I, that I appreciate in bringing up something. And I think this is something true here. God used, used Elisha to come into this woman's life, a woman who was faithful and obedient to God and help her. And notice the nature of all this going down here. Notice, first of all, in the latter part of verse 1, we see God speaking to her because God was going to condemn the land of Israel. Notice it was a loathsome condemnation. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. Now, Israel, as we know, was still living in terrible, terrible idolatry. Israel was still worshiping Baal and other other idol gods. And because of that, uh, you know, God had sent them a famine. We've seen in previous situations where it's famine. In fact, if you take this passage in chapter 8, most commentators and historians believe that this passage, from a chronological standpoint, really, where, where we have this, really fits right at back back at chapter 4, at the end of the time when this woman's son was raised to life. It kind of fits around there because that's when we have a famine. Now, the famine God was going to send was going to be a pretty bad famine. If you want to look in context, the famine that Elijah prayed for, Elijah prayed for back in 1 Kings, was a famine that lasted three and a half years. We know that from over there in James chapter 5, the Bible says Elijah prayed that it might not rain, and it rained out for the space of three years and six months. So we know that there was a famine that lasted three and a half years. Now, I don't know about you, but a famine for one year is bad. A famine for two years is bad. A famine for three and a half years is very bad. And you remember, it was so bad back in King Ahab's time that they, they were trying to, that all the grass was gone, and animals were dying, the land was parched. And man, it was a terrible, terrible situation. But imagine with me a famine lasting seven years. I mean, God was not very happy with what was going on with Israel. And you know this from previous passages we studied. Deuteronomy 11, God was very, very adamant about the fact, if you worship me and you don't have other gods before me, I will send the rain from heaven. You'll have the latter rain. You'll have the blessing of God on your land. But if you worship other idols, you replace me with other gods. He says, I will take, I'll hold back the rain. I'll withhold the rain and the water. And you're going to have, you're going to have drought. And you're going to have famine. And again, famine came. This would be a terrible famine. Uh, it was a famine that represented judgment, condemnation against the nation's sin. It was a loathsome some condemnation. God wanted them to feel the effects of that, that famine. God wanted them to feel what it was like to go without food. God wanted them to feel like feel the pain of watching their livestock die. God wanted them to feel the pain of watching their land dry up and the crops dry up and the rivers dry up. God wanted them to get to the place where they'd realize how desperate their situation was without God. Let me remind you tonight when there's a famine of God's word and a famine of God's presence, like, man, we can get to the place. We're going to be very desperate. We need God in our life. So God told her, she said, I've called for a famine. It shall come upon the land for seven years. Now, I don't know if anybody else in the land got that word. But we know one thing. God came to her personally to give her a warning. Be careful. A famine's coming. But notice in verse 1, we see something else. We see this woman's submission starting to unfold again. As she gets word about this loathsome condemnation, notice she receives a loving command from the man of God. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored life. And I want you to underscore every time, because it's mentioned five times in six verses. The woman whose son was restored to life. That's very significant. He said, Arise, and go thou in thine household, and sojourn whithersoever thou canst sojourn. God comes to this woman, this Shunammite woman. He tells her there's a there's a problem in the land. A famine's coming. And he says, listen, I've got a word for you. Get up. Get out of these God-forsaken lands, because that's what they were going to be. And he says, wherever you can go, take your household. Wherever you can go, go find a place and sojourn there for seven years and then come back. He said, basically, woman, if you stay here, you're going to suffer. But if you listen to what I'm going to tell you, get up. Sojourn wherever so over the cats. He says, stay there. You'll be fine. And God was giving her a command. And it's what I pre preface by calling a loving command. You know, our sinful nature doesn't like to be told what to do. Amen. I mean, we don't like to be commanded, especially the older we get. And, and uh, you know, the more accomplishments we have and the more toys we have and the more independent we get. And, you know, all those things that go along with us. We just don't like being told what to do. I mean, that's the number one reason why teens rebel. Because they wake up and they see a, a boy sees a little bit of peach fuzz on his chin. He thinks, I'm a man. You're not a man. A woman wakes up. girl wakes up. And her hair is a little bit longer. And some boy starts looking. And she says, oh, I must be very pretty. I'm looking in the mirror. She says, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror says, not you. But she believes it anyway, man. You know? 
And they get rebellious. Mom says, clean up your room. Okay, Mom, I'll get to you. They don't clean up the room. Hey, get to come down for dinner. They don't come down for dinner. You know, because they're independent. They're just a little bit more assertive about the, who they are and what goes on. And I watch I don't watch with our kids here in the church. Our kids in the church, they're very compliant. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. AJ. Yes, pastor. Fog. You know, yes, this, yes, that. And then they, they graduate from college. They get a job. And it's not yes anymore. It's kind of like, yeah, dude, what's going on? You know, you know. Our sinful nature doesn't like to be told what to do. We just, we rebel. I mean, be honest, okay? But can I remind you tonight, God's commands are not grievous. First John chapter 5, if you'll turn there, you ought to turn there, just don't look at your notes. First John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, John wrote this because he was dealing with the church at Ephesus, was one of the great churches of that time. And the church at Ephesus had gotten mixed up with false doctrine and he had to write that whole letter to deal with the antichrist sentiment that was in the church that these antichrist teachers brought in and so forth there. And, and he was telling them a lot of things. And I think he wrote this because he was feeling pushback from them. And he wrote this in 1 John chapter 5. And may I read this to you as a word of encouragement. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Notice verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. And listen, the next time you think God's commandments are harsh, and God's commandments are tough, and God's commandments are not for you, and God's commandments are against you, and God's commandments are tough, remind yourself of what 1 John 5, 3 says, His commandments are not grievous. They're for us. They're for our benefit. Just read through Deuteronomy. You said Deuteronomy is a boring book. No, it's not. It's an exciting book. I tell you, I love reading through Deuteronomy, especially as I get to the latter part. He deals with these cursings and blessings. All of it deals with obedience there. I remind you tonight, God's commandments are not grievous. Listen, <clears throat> God came through Elisha to this woman and gave her <coughs> a loving command for her protection. Commandments of God give us promises and the commandments of God gives us protection. Notice again what he says. Arise. Not tomorrow. Right now. <clears throat> Arise. And go thou in thy household. And sojourn with whosoever thou canst sojourn. It reminds me when God came to Abraham. Was, remember when he started out, when God came, he was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. Remember that? He worshiped the moon god Nana. Okay. And did like his fa- like his fathers and all of them, they were worshiping the moon god there of the land. And God came to him one day, he was a 75-year-old man. I don't know about you, but 75-year-old men are crusty and stubborn, amen? He said, get up and get out of the land, your father's land. And that was saying a lot because, you know, you you, you remain emotionally tied to your father back in those days. And, and you wouldn't do those kind of things. I mean, that was disrespectful to your family. But God said, you need to get out of there for one reason, because they're idol worshipers. And I've got something I want to do with you. And listen, Abraham picked up everything, what little he had. And he went out and he started to sojourn. Remember that? He dwelt in tents, as the Bible says. And he was he was walking around as a pilgrim. He'd make a stop here and a stop there. I mean, he kept moving around. He was, he was like a, the nomads of that day. They were just moving around there. But he learned something, that the Christian life is is a, is a pilgrim life and you've got to obey God and you have to remind you tonight God gave this woman loving command and God gives you and me loving command God never commands us something that's against us whatever those commands are they're always for our benefit he gives us commands for our sanctification he gives us commands for serving he gives us commands as a safeguard for your life and mine. Hey, by the way, he gives us commands for our success. Because I'm reminded of 1 John 3, 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing to sight. That's one thing to get a command, but notice verse 2. Notice how this woman demonstrates her submission. Notice her loyal compliance in verse 2. The woman arose... <clears throat> And did after the saying of the man of God, she did exactly what she was told to do. Did you ever get this? When we get a command, we're not supposed to add to it or take from it. Amen. We're supposed to do exactly what God tells us to do it. We're not to try to reinvent the word of God. God's word, by the way, doesn't need reinvention. Amen. She did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. Now, we don't know why <clears throat> she went west. It could be because the Philistines were a coastal people. They were on the coastline. And maybe she had enough money that she could sustain herself. We're not sure. And, but maybe there on that coastline she'd be fine. And God said, now, it's going to last seven years. Just want you down there seven years. You stay there. 
And what I want you to focus on tonight was this woman's obedience. She had faith in God's word. She was obedient to God's word. Notice she was prompt in her compliance. She arose. She did what she was supposed to do. She was arose quickly. She was prompt. She was prudent in her compliance. She thought through this. The Bible says, sojourn whithersoever thou canst. I think God trusted her with her decision making that she could be trusted with her decision. Hey, let me ask you a question tonight, Christian. Can God trust you and me with our decision making? If he gives you that much latitude to sojourn whithersoever thou canst, if he would give you a decision like that, can he trust you and I to make the right decision? Or do you take advantage of those liberties to go beyond all that? And you notice something here. This woman, she she said, well, God said seven years. And, you know, she knew, hey, by the way, the Philistines were idol worshipers. And the Philistines were not good people. And that she would be a Jewish woman among all those people with her son. She knew that it would be a, would be a, a very, very difficult situation. But I believe this woman, she was, she was prudent in her compliance. She said, you know, I'm just not, I'm going to do my thing and stay there. I'm going to come back. And then, by, by the way, she remained prayerful in her compliance. Look again. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. <clears throat> Anytime you see the word sojourn in a good context, and most of the time it is, the context surrounds itself with someone who's still busy praying, Someone's still making an altar. By the way, she may have been out of her homeland, but it didn't excuse her from still worshiping God. It didn't excuse her still from offering sacrifices. It didn't excuse her from her normal obligations as a Jewish woman there. And she was just being honorable to God. I just say tonight, we see first of all tonight, this woman of Shunem demonstrates an unwavering submission. She was a woman of submission over in 2 Kings 4. And we still see this woman practicing submission in a very difficult moment in her life. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And I remind you tonight, brother and sister in Christ, submission is for you and I to follow. We're to be followers of God like little children, like children that love their parents. Listen, we need to get back to the place where we remind ourselves, that's like a lot of our new parents, of little kids, they're trying to get their children to follow them. Hey, we got to get back to place as Christians to stop overcomplicating the Christian life and overmaturing ourselves to place where we're not following God as dear children and just go along and follow the Lord and say, God, whatever you want me to do, that's good for me, Lord. I'll do it and do it there. Amen. And that sets the tone there in Ephesians chapter 5 for the, talk, the doctrine of submission there. Listen, this woman was faithful. She demonstrated faithfulness in her submission. She demonstrated faithfulness in her faith in God's word. She demonstrated faithfulness in her obedience. She had an unwavering faith in the word of God. And I wonder tonight if you're facing a critical decision, a crucial time in your life of what to do and where to go and all those things. Are you willing to trust God's word to lead you where you need to go? We see an unwavering submission. Notice number two. <clears throat> Notice verse three. This woman experiences an unwelcome setback. And it came to pass after seven years in that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. Now, I like that thought. You said, what's in that? I like that thought. She didn't linger one day longer than she had to. Hey, students, you're going to go out of town. Some of you kind of planning going away for school. And that seems to be the trend in this generation. Let me warn you tonight. You might go away for school, and I hope that's God's will. But if you go away, remember this. If that's not where you're supposed to be, don't linger a day longer than you need to get back home. Get back to church. Get back to the house of God, okay? Don't get the place you get too used to. And it's interesting, being in the land of the Philistines for seven years, there would have been great pressure... For her to conform to Philistine lifestyle. And even some believe that her husband had passed away at the time this occurs. She could have conformed to Philistine lifestyle. And even married a Philistine man who could have have just probably added to the immense wealth that she already had. And she chose not to. She didn't wait a day long. In fact, I imagine that woman with a Jewish calendar that typically consists of 360 days. I imagine this woman taking a marker and marking up every day that passed by. Because she was counting down the days when she could go back home to be back in her home. And the land that God had given her be back home. I'm going to tell you tonight, you ought to miss church when you're away from church every now and then, amen. You ought to miss church when you're away from church. You ought to miss God's word when you're not in God's word. You ought to miss it when you don't hear the preaching of God's word. And listen, you go to somewhere where the preaching's watered down and you don't get the word of God and they're out of church a lot earlier than you're used to going out. You ought to thank God that, listen, there's something being said from the word of God that's trying to feed your soul and help you to go on for God there. And this woman there, she returned out of the land of the Philistines. And the Bible says there's a, there's a semicolon there. 
And the semicolons there because it helps us to understand that this woman was going to experience something she didn't anticipate. She was expecting to go back to her home, and she had a big home. And she was expecting to go back to her land, and she had a lot of land. And she was expecting to go back to her, her crops and her harvest, and expecting to go back to her lifestyle. She was expecting to go back to all that. But that didn't happen. She was away for seven years. She was gone for seven years. And listen, when she was gone, the Bible says she cried to the king for her house and her land. I want you to notice this woman, as we'll see in a minute, she experienced an unwelcome setback. Hey, listen, whenever there's blessings from God and whenever God is uh, finds favor with us, I remind you tonight, God is always preparing to do something, to put something in our life, to test us, to see, are you still going to be faithful? Can I still trust you? Will you still be obedient? Can I still trust you with these gifts? Can I still trust you with this trial? And now, listen, nobody in this room wants a trial. But listen, trials without trials, we're not going to grow in our Christian life. And I want to see this trial this woman got because it was one she couldn't have anticipated. Notice there was the takeover of her land. This woman was blessed in her holdings and she was blessed with an heir that was a supernatural birth. And she was blessed with the resurrection of heir. But she would never imagine coming back after seven years of being away because of a famine. There'd be a token over the land. And her, in her imagination, the prophet of God said, hey, go away. And everything, and she just, well, I think everything's going to be fine. And she goes back and we're not told what happened. But I get the sense that somebody came along and somebody saw the house was abandoned. And somebody saw there were no servants there. And somebody saw weeds and nettles growing up on the land. And somebody saw things were not being tilled and somebody saw that the livestock was gone and somebody saw the house was uninhabited and somebody came and knocked on that door and kept knocking on the door and nobody was there they said I guess they didn't want their home I guess they moved away somewhere else I'm going to take over and she came back and somebody took over her home and took over her land and listen whoever that was wasn't willing to give it back to her she had a squatter in her land and she didn't know what to do amen This takeover was illegal. Her property was stolen from her. This takeover was unwelcome. She didn't see it coming. This takeover was unsettling. Because she made the journey back from the land of the Philistines, wherever she was at. Maybe it was the city of Gath. Maybe it's the city of Ascalon. Wherever it was, she made her way back. And she comes back and her house is taken over. I mean, how would you feel? You come back to your home and it's taped over and it says you can't go in. Or you come in the door, you open, you have the key open the door, and you find a bunch of people inside your home, and they're asking you, what are you doing here? And you're saying, what are you doing here? <clears throat> and notice verse 2, if you would, verse 3. When it says, she went forth to cry to the king, she had only one course of action. Watch this. She had to take, in what they did in those days, she had to take civil, legal action at that moment. She had to appeal to the king to get back her house and her land. Now, can you imagine that? That's like today, you'd have to hire a lawyer for something like, I didn't even do anything wrong. What do I have to hire a lawyer for? Amen? What do I got to spend all this money for? What do I got to hire these guys for? They're going to bleed me to death before it even goes to trial. Amen? You know? Why, why do I have to deal with this situation for? I mean, why is this happening to me? What's going on here? Why? And she looks at the situation, and the Bible says she went for him. She starts making a journey from wherever her house was down to the wherever the, the, the courthouse was that time, where the king's house was, because she went there to cry for, she had to basically beg and cajole and ask the king to give her back her land. And this woman was experiencing the takeover of her land. It was an awful situation. Instead of a welcome home, she came to a situation where she didn't have a home. But notice we see a testing of her life. Up until that moment, this woman had proved she was faithful to God, did she not? She didn't one time curse God. She didn't one time complain to God. She said, when asked, would you like, well, what can I do for you? She says, I dwell with my people, I'm content. When Gehazi thrust her way, when she dragged, when she saddled the donkey, made her way hurriedly to see Elisha. Elisha saw her from afar, and then she, she got off and she ran, and she fell at the feet of Elisha. She bowed herself. He knew she was in need, and Gehazi was somewhat insulted by that. He says, woman, get out. We need our space here. Get away from us. And, uh, and he thrust her away, and she didn't get mad at him. 
She knew Gehazi didn't have the power and she knew Gehazi was disrespectful and she saw as Gehazi walked with the staff of the man of God in his hand and made his way to her house. She said, I, I, you know what? I, I know the prophet trusts him, but I don't trust him. He doesn't have the power. And she said, to, she said to the prophet, she said, I'm going to stay with you. I'm not going to let you go to, to, to something happens here. And this woman here, she's at this place where she's experienced blessings upon blessings upon blessings. I mean, she was blessed with God, being able to entertain the servant of God in her home. And she was blessed with being given a child when she could before have no child. And she was blessed when that child died, getting this child back. I mean, she was blessed beyond measure. And God preserved her over seven years down the land of Philistine. Now she comes back and she's facing another test and a big test in her life. God was using this situation in her life as he'll use in our life to test us. And our faithfulness. God had shown himself strong before. Would he do it again? Would she have faith that God could take care of her again? She trusted God when he sent her away. Could she trust God now that she returned back home? Do you think, can you imagine, what would you have done if you'd come back home after the prophet said go away and you came back home and now you're stuck, you don't have a home and you don't have life? What would you do? Would you get mad at Elisha? She has a setback. Her life is being tested. Can I ask you a question? When your life is tested, what does that bring out of you? Can God test you? And if God tests you, how far can he test you? And what's your reaction going to be? And what's your attitude going to be to God when you're tested? How well do you please God when you're tested? How does your family and your loved ones and the church see you and me when we are tested? God brought her back to a place. There was another test of her faith. Faithfulness is always going to be tested. Faithfulness is always going to be stretched. Faithfulness will always be in a place where new demands. Hey, you young people that just got back from a great teenager retreat and great preaching. Let me tell you, I'm thankful for that. I'm glad the blessings of God came on the preaching. But be prepared to be tested if you're going to be faithful. I want to tell you, church, thank God, God trusted us with over 1,300 people this past weekend. But I'm reminded tonight, let's be prepared because testings are on the way to see if we're going to be faithful in those testings. Faithfulness is not just about how well we do with our assets. But how well do we do with our afflictions? Faithfulness is not just about how well we do with our abilities. It's about how our attitude is when we're tested. Faithfulness is not just about how we, we did when we last trusted God. But what are we doing now? We're tested again. It's this woman receiving an unwelcome setback. Will you fail or succeed in the hour of testing? No wonder Jesus would tell Peter and James and John, Simon, Simon, I prayed for thee that thy faith will not fail. And when thou art converted, when thou art converted, go and help thy brethren. And tonight I want to remind you this evening as a church, I pray for you. I hope you pray for me. But we need to pray for one another. We need to uphold one another in prayer, especially with these revival meetings coming on, because we'll need, we're going to need that preaching from Dr. Van Gelderen to strengthen us and help us and prepare us for the days ahead. As we close, and I want you to notice one last thing. We see this woman woman in her faithfulness, the unwavering submission in her faithfulness. We see an unwelcome setback in her faithfulness. You notice one last thing, and I want to tie this all together so we can understand what's going on in this passage. Would you notice this woman, and I've titled this a little bit differently, this last point. Would you notice this woman and her unworthy satisfaction? Now, I use the word unworthy as an adjective because I think it reminds me, for what God does for her, she's probably thinking back in her mind, I'm not worthy of any of these good things. But I want you to see something tonight. I want you to see the power of faithfulness and how God rewards faithfulness and blesses in your life and mine. This woman has lost her land. She's lost her home. And so she's making her way back to God, back to, back to the king's place. Notice verse 4 through 6 as we close tonight. In verse 4, we find as this woman's making her way, we, we, we're the, 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 the scene, the camera, if I could use that, the camera's taken off the woman. Do you notice that? 
You see this? Amen. All right. I'll be there. The camera's not on the woman. Do you notice that? The camera shifts and the camera's on another two other personalities. Did you see that? The camera shifts to the king's palace while the woman's on the way. And notice in verse four, if you would, in verse four, it says, and the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. Now, one of the reasons I mentioned earlier, I believe chronology wise, chronologically wise, I believe that this this passage of scripture fits right back in chapter four from a chronological standpoint is number one, Gehazi had been stricken with leprosy. Remember that? And he had severe, in fact, he had the most severe form. He was white as a leper. Remember that? I mean, he was in bad shape there, okay? And in that condition, you basically were ostracized from everybody else there. So there's a, there's a there's unlikelihood King Jehoram would have allowed a leper, a white leper, in front of his presence. So most likely, it was back at that time, okay? Another thing is that the incident was very close. What's happening here in verse 4 is very close to the when, when Elisha came to that woman's household and restored her son back to life. So whatever happened there, we're not sure what happened. It's in the midst of the famine, King Jehoram has Gehazi in his palace. Now, we don't know why, and Elisha wasn't with him there, but Gehazi's there. And again, I, I think this, has to, this probably was uh, right before Gehazi demonstrated his covetousness and before he was all that. And maybe Gehazi was money-seeking and covetous, and that's why he was there. And he had an audience with the king. And the king said this in verse 4. He said, the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, notice his question, the statement, tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. You know, he'd heard about Elisha. He had interacted with Elisha. He'd interact with him back in chapter 3, if my memory serves right, when the three kings were down in that valley. They remember that? And, and uh, God put water in the valley. He'd seen all these things. But somehow Gehazi had an audience with King Jehoram. And he says, tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. I want to know about all the miracles. I want to know about these things. And, you know, he's one of those men that was kind of into hype and fantasy and things like that. But he did ask a great great statement. He said, tell me all the great things that, that, that Elisha done. By the way, just a question for you. What are all the great things someone could say about you and me as a testimony of God's power in our life? What are all the great things that we talk about as far as what God's doing at Heritage Baptist Church? And doing the lives of our people. You come gather with me and I'll sit down with our with people that are new to our church and I can't stop talking. I start talking about all the great things God's doing in the Heritage Baptist Church. Amen. All the great things God's doing in people's lives and the miracles and things we've seen God do. I mean, it's just a wonderful thing. And I'll go to preacher's conference where I preach and they'll ask, they'll ask me a question and I can't help but tell them and, and gush over about all what God's doing in your life and things like that. And he asks him, tell me all the great things that Elisha's done. He tells him and he starts talking about all these miracles. And I imagine he goes back to the very first day when the mantle of Elijah fell to the ground and he picked up that mantle and he took it and he smote the waters hither and thither. And as he did so, he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He did so. The Jordan River parted. And listen, Elisha could say, I no longer could talk about a, what Elijah did, and I could talk about what God did for me. And it just got better. And notice in verse 4, the Bible says here, and it came to pass, he said, tell me all these things. And then verse 5, and it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he restored a dead body to life. Hey, watch this. Just as he got to this, and, and I'm not sure if he did it chronologically, but just as he got to say, hey, I've got to tell you about one miracle that's great. He says, King Joram, I've got to tell you about one miracle that's going to blow your mind. I've got to tell you about one miracle that is over the top, something nobody's ever seen in any generation. He says, I've got to tell you how this prophet Elijah brought life. He restored life back to this woman. As he did so, this woman rocked right into the king's presence there. That's pretty awesome, amen? Talk about timing there. And I want to see a couple of things about this woman because we're going to see God rewarding this woman's faithfulness and all this. We're going to see what I call the unworthy satisfaction. First of all, what you notice, the diligent prayer. This woman here in verse 5, she has no idea Gehazi's with the king. She has no idea what, 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 what mood the king is in. She knows that he's not, he's not altogether a spiritual man, but she doesn't care. She just knows one thing. I know I've got to go to the king and cry to the king for my land and for my home. She says, I'm not going to give up. That's what it means. I'm going to go there and I'm going to cry and I'm going to beseech and I'm going to beg. I'm going to, and that's what the word prosukiumai, where we get our word prayer from in the Greek, in the New Testament Greek, it means to beg. 
beg and means to implore, means to beseech. And uh, she said, I'm going to go to beseech it. And it just so happens that, that Gehazi is talking about that incident as she walks in. It doesn't change her. She doesn't know what's going on. And the Bible says in verse 5 that she goes in there and it says here, and it came to pass as he was telling the king how he'd restored a dead body life, that behold, the woman whose son he'd restored cried to the king for her house and for her land. I want you to notice a diligent prayer. I say this all the time. We need to pray as if we're in a trial. Else God sends us trials to teach us to pray. And this woman had been down enough valleys. And she had Elisha in her home enough to hear him pray. And to watch God answer prayer. She said, you know what? I'm thankful for his praying. But I've got to do my own praying. Amen. I've got to pray some miracles for myself. I've got to pray for God to do something. And she went, and I believe, with a prayer in her, in her breath to God. She cried to the king for her land. Let me tell you tonight, you can have me pray for you. You can have somebody else pray for you. You can have intercessors. But there's going to come a time and place. You've got to learn how to get out of God yourself there. Saturday, we had this, uh, this event. Some of you were there. And uh, the timing of everything, nothing, nothing, Brother Kwong, nothing fit the schedule, did it, right? Everything was all upside down. It's your fault, that's why, amen, you know? But anyway, but, but you know, it, nothing, nothing fit the schedule. I got there 12. I told Daniel I'd be there 12. And I told the guys I'd be there 12. I said, okay, let's get all the parents there that are going to be part of the outreach team so I can talk to them for a few minutes, what to do, what not to do, what to expect, what not to expect. And the parents barely got, were barely getting in there. And as I got there, the line was already down the block. I don't know, Kwong, when I got there, I don't know, what do you think, probably 50 people there, 100? Okay, something like that there, you know. So it's, it's this big line, and, you know, for me, I, I, I just, you know, first of all, I don't like lines. I don't know about you guys, I don't like lines. If you see me at Costco, I try to find the shortest line, or I make a new line, amen? You know, I just, I just don't like lines, okay? And so, so, and I don't like seeing people waiting, especially if it's from one of our events. And so, so I get really nervous there because I don't want to lose people. I don't want to have a bad experience about the church and things like that. So I'm getting all nervous about that thing. So anyway, we got it all worked out and we're starting to move things. I'm thankful for workers came. We set up more tables and all the things we did there. And so Brother Daniel comes along. He brought a bunch of stuff. And he, you know how Brother Daniel's, when something like that happens, Brother Daniel's eyes are like this. <laughs> and Brother Daniel's looking big. He's, man, what are you doing? Did you, did, did, did you see, did, did you see the crowd? Did, did you see? I said, yeah, man, it's great. Isn't it great? He said, yeah, you know, and he turned to him. He says, yeah, pastor said to pray for 200 and I, and I, and I didn't think we'd have 200 and I think it's 400. He said, pastor, stop praying. <laughs> he did ask him. He said, stop praying. <laughs> Some of us need to start praying. Amen. We need to start praying. Hey, she heard what Elisha could do. She said, if he could pray like that, I can pray like that too. Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. She cried to me. She said, I'm not, I'm not leaving here until I get my plan. Now, she didn't know how cool this was. God had worked this whole thing out for her. I mean, this was great. A diligent prayer. But notice the divine providence. What we see happen in verses 5 and 6 is the providence of God at work. Now, a lot of times we think about what I've got to do or we want God. Listen, always remind yourself this. God will always do a better job of something than you and I will ever do. Amen. I mean, honestly, we mess it up. Don't you agree with that? Amen. We mess it up. Okay. God does a better job than us. I want you to see divine providence now. This woman's crying out, and I don't know about you, but maybe if she was crying out, she said, you know, she's thinking about the prayer of Jabez. And, I, and you know, you've got to go visit the prayer of Jabez every now and then. Amen. Man was born in sorrow, and his mother called him Jabez, which means sorrow. I don't know about you, if my mama called me sorrow, that'd be pretty sorry, amen, you know? And he, he, he got up one day, and he looked at his circumstances, and he said, I'm tired of being a loser. I'm tired of my life feeling, being filled with sorrow. Maybe he was a, maybe he grew up in a single parent home, and it was a tough home as a mother trying to raise him. And he prayed one day, Oh God, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, and thy hand would be upon me that I might not see evil. And the Bible says something very spectacular. God granting him that which he requested. Whoa. I think she thought about that prayer. I think she thought about the prayer of Joshua when Joshua was up on those mountains fighting those Canaanite kings who, who, got, who became a confederacy to fight against them. They were in the mountains and they were on their turf and it was on their turf. And he said, listen, we started chasing them and God sent hailstones and started defeating them. We're going to hear about that when I preach through Joshua in a little bit here. And then uh, the hailstones are coming down. And Joshua said, you know what? The sun's going to set here. 
And uh, and he says, I want to get the job done. I don't want to go another day. And Joshua stopped. And the Bible says he prayed for the sun to stand still. Remember that? And the Bible says there never was a prayer prayed like that ever again. <laughs> I think she thought about that praying. I think she thought about how Elisha prayed. I think she thought about how Samuel prayed. I think she thought about how Hannah prayed. She didn't know about Daniel, but she probably prayed like Daniel when he got out of the Daniel's den. And she's crying out for her son. And all this is going on. And listen, while this is going on, here's Gehazi right there explaining to the king, King Jehoram, that there's this resurrection that came. This woman had this son that died. And I was there and I put the staff on this kid's face. And the kid didn't wake up. And the Elisha came in. He booted me out. He says, get out of here. This calls for work of a man of God. And he said, I got it. He prayed and he brought this boy back to life. And he says, oh, king, by the way, this is the woman. This is her son. Now, I want to see providence at work here because this is God's work. You say, what is providence? Providence is the divine and unseen hand of God that's working your life and my life beyond our control and actions. It's the unseen hand of God working in our lives beyond our control and action. Listen, Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directed the steps. Notice in verses 4 and 5, notice the timing in this providence. I mean, you read verses 4 and 5. Could the timing be any better than that? Amen? I mean, I mean, I don't know about you. <clears throat> your land's gone. Your home's been taken. You got a squatter in there big time that's not going to leave. They said, go ahead and sue me. You're not going to win anyway. You've been gone seven years. It's mine. Show me the deed of trust. They didn't have those things that day. All she could show is her boundary line. So she, she said, I gotta take this up there. And she said, I'm gonna fight for this thing here. And she went there and, 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 and here's Gehaze. I see with the king. And, you know, Change Your Horn was kind of a moody guy. He was kind of up and down all the time. And here he's explaining. And he says, hey, you know what? He says, this is the woman. This is her son. I mean, talking about time. Listen, God is always on time. God is never late. God is always, they read about Genesis there when, when God gave Isaac to, to Abraham and Sarah. Remember that? And you, you read about that. The last thing you read is in chapter 19 or so about, about that, 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 that she's conceived or so. Chapter 20, she's conceived. And chapter 21, the Bible says she gave birth even as the Lord said at the set time God said. God was right on time. I remind you tonight, when Jesus came, there was on time when the fullness of time was come. God is always on time, brother and sister in Christ. He calls you me home. He's always on time. When he tells you to get saved. He's always on time. When he tells you it's time to serve God, he's always on time. When he says preach the word, he's always on time. By the way, God is always on time when we're always late. But notice the testimony in this providence in verse 5. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king, how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life, there it is again, cried to the king for her home and for her land. And Gehazi, I said, my lord, oh, king. I mean, can you imagine how excited this, this, this lazy servant got? I mean, he was excited. He was on fire. He got on fire. This is the woman and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. Boy, it doesn't get better than that. She said, this is the woman I was just telling you about. He's scratching his thing. I don't know how God orchestrated this, but this is good stuff. But notice in verse 6, the turnabout in the providence. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until the... Hey, what an incredible turnabout. Do you see that? He said, Okay. This is the woman. This is her son. He said, I mean, he didn't ask, you know, he didn't do the normal civil thing. Okay, let's hear the witnesses, right? He said, well, let's take depositions. That's what lawyers do to make money, amen, you know? Let's see all the documents. He said, no, I believe it. He says, you, I'm putting you in charge. You bear the kingdom seal. Listen to what he said. Restore to this woman all that was hers. And notice this. This gets better. And all the fruit that she was due her all the way back to the day she left the land. Hey, she got seven years return back on her money. That's why it pays the tithe. That's why it pays to participate in the special offerings of the church. 
whoa, man, time of famine. She got back her land, got back her home, and she got seven years of all the harvest back, too. <laughs> you said, where did it come from? The king gave it to her. Just like when God takes care of you and me, God takes care, God takes care of what you and I need. Now, I'm not done. I want you to see one more thing here. This woman said what she had to turn about it. She saw God was good and God was great. She recovered all the Hey, what a wonderful divine providence and all this. And what a happy ending story. But it's not over yet. Because as we close tonight, I want you to see the dynamic principles. There's some principles here. These are principles about faithfulness. If I don't do anything else tonight, may I encourage you tonight. Let's be faithful in what we do. This woman, as she got back, all those things, I mean, she's thinking at the end of verse 6 here, man, this, I, I'm sad, but this, I'm not worthy of all these things. I'm going to tell you this. I show, go over and I finalize tonight by telling you these divine principles, these, these dynamic principles of faithfulness. I remind you tonight, you're going to feel the same as me as you start reading this. That Listen, I'm not worthy of any good thing that God gives to me. And listen, there are three things we're going to close with tonight. What are these principles? Very quickly. Number one, notice this, the principle of righteous fear. The Bible says a faithful man shall abound with blessings. Look at the principle of righteous fear. Please turn to your Bible distance. Don't look at the notes. Turn to your Bible. Psalms 34 verses 11 to 17. Come. It's invitation. Come, ye children. Hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Hey, who doesn't want a good time in their life? Amen? Who doesn't want to have a good life? Amen? Say amen. Come on. You don't want to live a miserable life. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's saying, don't be an idle gossiper. This and life is bigger than being idle gossip. Amen? Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Notice verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears open unto their... What was that woman doing? Crying to the king. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Oh, that's why he sent seven years famine. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Yeah, people that die of starvation, they're cut off from the remembrance of the earth. But the righteous cry and the Lord hears and the Lord deliver them out of all their what? You know what Psalm 34 is? The troubled man's psalm. The principle of righteous fear. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It's part of faithfulness. It's being faithful in character. Faithful in our speech. Faithful in our social interactions. If you love life and want many days, you want to see good, keep your tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's he says, look, take the high road in life. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. You, you look at this woman at Shunem, she fits all of that. She fits all of it. She wasn't a busybody. She didn't get involved in other people's business. She didn't get worried about what other people were doing, gossiping this, gossiping that. She said, I'm going to seek peace and pursue it. I'm going to do good. And she did do good because she put, took money out of her own pocket and built an addition to her house, which was a prophet's chamber. Praise God for that. Amen. Notice number two. There's a principle of righteous fear, but you notice principle number two. The principle of a rewarded faith. <clears throat> Go to Psalms 84. Now, if you know Psalms 84, Psalms 84 is the psalm about the house of God. So I'll try to stay within the context, but notice verses 11 to 12. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. And I like that. As a sun, God makes his face to shine upon us. That's a good thing. Amen. You ought to pray every day, Lord, make your face to shine upon us. I, I close every wedding ceremony, but may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Why? We want the blessing of God. But his, that same sun which shines on our face is also shield from evil. Amen? That's a blessing to you and me, okay? In, in this context, you don't need sunscreen. Amen? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. That's a good thing. 
That's what this woman experienced. He said, no good thing will you withhold from them to walk uprightly. It's not like the lady who went to a marriage seminar. You've heard me tell the story. She went to a marriage seminar and she heard all these things about how to help her marriage. And they said, they asked the ladies and the men to go to separate meetings. And the woman went to a separate meeting with all the pastor's wives. And they said, pastor's wives, would you give a testimony about your husband? And she raised her hand and she said, well, I want to give a testimony. She said, I just want to tell you, my husband's great. He's one of those no good things that the Bible speaks about there. It's not what that's talking about there. He says, no good thing will he withhold from them to walk uprightly. You know what that is? That's the principle of a rewarded faith. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? God knows your troubles. God knows your... And you know what? Our troubles today, our biggest troubles are not like what they went through. Our biggest troubles today, we get frustrated. Come on, we do. We get annoyed. We get frustrated. We get exasperated. That's our biggest trial. And we cry like we're having cancer. Listen, I'd rather be annoyed than get cancer. Let me tell you right now, amen? He says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And then notice verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. That's a faith life. That's a faithful life. I tell you how content that faithful life is. You read Psalms 84 and it talks about the sparrow finding a corner of God's house and being content to put its nest in it. It says, it's safe there. Listen, if a sparrow is happy to put a nest in the house of God, hey, you and I ought to be thinking about growing our family in the house of God. Amen? That's a good thought. There's one more thing. There's the principle of righteous fear and there's the principle of rewarded faith. But notice Philippians 2.13. i got to quit. Notice the principle of a revived fruitfulness. Now, you got to read all of Philippians 2 to understand what I'm going to say, but let me just give you one verse. It says this in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you. By the way, aren't you glad God is always working on us? Amen. We're all a work in process. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. Aren't you glad God doesn't give up on us like we give up on Him? Amen. Yeah. Aren't you glad God has mercy? Amen. Come on. Come on. For it is God which worketh in you both to will... They do of his good pleasure. Watch this, verse 5. Three times and two other times in the passage. This is the woman whose son Elisha restored. This is the woman whose son he had restored to life. You know what God knows? God knows there are seasons in our life. I'm done. God knows there's seasons in life when we hit low points. Okay? Where it's just not happening. It's just not happening. You're doing everything right, but it's just not happening. And so seasons, God, of just where it seems things are barren. It's during those seasons we're wondering what's wrong. Can I remind you of Philippians 2.13? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. You're to keep, you're just keep on going. You keep on going. Because you know what he's saying there? God is at work in your life and God will produce the revival. You and I cannot produce the revival. God produced the revival. Watch what's going on here. The fact that God mentions for us five different times about a boy whose son was restored. You know what it reminds me tonight? Sometimes things will die out, but God is the one who gives life back to what's dying out. There's a reviving of a fruitful life. You know, as we go into the revival meetings, I was just so glad this passage came up right in the timing of the order of things I'm preaching on for Wednesday nights. I was just kind of glad because it's a prelude to next this Sunday when Dr. Van Gelderen comes. And we need God to work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Because it's, at the end of the day, it's not about what pleases me, what pleases him. By the way, if it pleases him, it should please you and me. Amen. It should work out just like that's the way it should be. And so we see this woman here is the power of a faithful life. I mean, I don't know about you, but this woman hasn't, she, has, she hasn't struck out yet. Amen? She hasn't struck out yet. I mean, come on. She's great in her giving. She's great in her contentment. Great in her hospitality. Great in her business. Great in her insight. Great in her praying. Great in her faithfulness. And I wonder tonight, would you be willing to take a moment to say, God... I want to experience the power of faithfulness to that degree.
rewarded faith, righteous fear, a revived fruitfulness. May God help us tonight to be encouraged by the life of a woman who is a faithful woman. Tell me all the great things that the prophet Elisha has done as he's talking about it. See, this is the woman and this is her son. Providence at work. God working your life and mine. Let him work. Let him do what he needs to do in your life. It's God which worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Father, tonight, thank you this evening for this woman and the passage of scripture we've studied tonight that but so encourages me about this woman. I pray tonight has encouraged the church on this midweek service, Lord. We need a revived fruitfulness. We need our faith to be rewarded. We need, Lord, a righteous fear in our life. May Jesus Christ, your son, be magnified in our lives. Father, tonight, sometimes we can get so caught up with the religious dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's and this is the way somebody said it and so forth. But God, your word says it right. Thank you for tests. Thank you for tribulations. Thank you for testings. And tonight, Lord, raise up a generation of members here at Heritage Baptist Church that will live out and experience the power of a faithful life. Thank you this woman had an unwavering submission. And though she experienced an unwelcome setback, she teaches us of an unworthy satisfaction. We're not worthy of the goodness of God. No good thing. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Father, that should stir us and motivate us and inspire us and stimulate us, Lord, tonight, that more can be done. Father, help us to be faithful tonight. Be faithful to church, faithful to the services, faithful to our ministries, faithful in our praying, faithful in our families, faithful in our Bible reading, faithful in our witnessing, faithful in our giving, faithful, God, in everything, faithful in our attitude. Just help us tonight, Lord, to be faithful to God. We ask tonight to have control, bless the service, bless the invitation time. We give it to you, the compelling of the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Piano's playing. If you need to come, I invite you to come. Now, let's stand. If you need to come, come join us at the altar tonight. Find your place at God. Faithfulness. God's looking for faithful people. Faithful people. Getting weary in the way, be faithful. Getting tired, be faithful. Getting upset, be faithful. Annoyed, be faithful. The power of a faithful life. You come tonight. Several have come. Would you come tonight? Come as a family. Be a faithful family. Be a faithful member. Be faithful you're single. Be faithful you're unmarried. Be faithful if you are married. Amen? Be faithful as a child. Power of a faithful life. What a wonderful thought about this woman here. Father, tonight, thank you, a faithful man abounded with blessings. But the Bible also says a faithful man who can find. Father, tonight I pray that you stir us about faithfulness, loyalty, and steadfastness, and commitment. In a moment, Lord, dismiss with your blessing. We've learned some things about this woman, Ashunam, that helps us. And uh, we pray for your business that's to be done in church, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dismiss with your blessing. Get us safely home. Help us, dear God, to rejoice in the word of God and its teachings and instruction. We'll thank you for all these things, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've got a couple of things tonight. We need all the men to stack all the chairs to the front. We have an event here on Friday, so we need everyone's help. All the men's help to stack the chairs to the front. And then I need some men to carefully help us move the platform furniture. Can I get some very strong men that want to... Show their muscles for a few minutes, amen, not the small little guys, amen. I want some real men up here to come up here and to help us move the, the church furniture very carefully uh, off here because we have an event on Friday. So if we can get all the men to help us, we can get this done really quickly so it would be done. Thank you for being here tonight. Saturday morning, 945, so winning. Pray for that. Pray for Mark Fang and Kimberly Chow. They're getting married on Friday. And uh, we have a little bit of a weather challenge. Praise God for a challenge. Amen. Just pray with me that God will give a respite of, of uh, good weather for a couple hours there and a pinhole in the sky. 
and uh, they can get wet. I don't want to get wet. Amen. So pray for I, I stay dry. Okay. So just pray for that. Amen. That'd be a blessing. Amen. You know, but uh, I'm just kidding aside there. But anyway, let's help do that. That'd be a blessing there tonight. And you be much in prayer for that. I love you. Thank God for you. Let's get all this done tonight and you can go home. Deacons will meet in about five to ten minutes after we get all this done here. Okay.